The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 236 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in LA, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um... I am doing better after watching one of the funniest meltdowns I've ever seen in my life on Saturday night between the Lakers and the Celtics. And uh, I think we should lead the show. There were two really good games, Lakers-Celtics on Saturday. And then also, I guess they billed it as rivalry day. And then they had the the Sixers and Nuggets were on in the afternoon and Bede versus Jokic. But I want to start with the LeBron thing. So... I think where do you where do you how do you feel about that? You're a Lakers fan. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm I'm like it's hard to root against LeBron at this point just because he's so old and so good, and he clearly got fouled. Um, but I, you know, watching the Lakers, I, I'm not a Lakers fan, but I live in LA, so I see a lot of the games. I see a lot of the games that aren't televised, and you could tell when he like turns it up a notch because he's like this team isn't that good enough to just like coast in the season. So I kind of have to like pick my spots and like win the winnable games. And so when he loses a close one, it really seems to like knock the wind out of his sails, you know, because he's like, they don't have the margin for error that some of his old teams did. Yeah. Super interesting. Right. Like so they they just lost to Brooklyn um, Monday night, which, Brooklyn's actually uh, Kyrie's playing great, but yeah, and LeBron took that game off because allegedly, you know, he's hurt a little bit, but maybe he's just like exhausted too. Um, but I think that like I do agree with you that you can tell he's like a little bit more agitated now about things. Like, and Anthony Davis was back on Saturday night, and he didn't play particularly well. Rui, the savior, you know, he's not. I mean, he had like six points, but like. LeBron was spectacular again, and the Lakers are, I think as of losing to Brooklyn on Monday night, the Lakers are 23 and 28, but they have had some bad calls go against them lately uh, against Dallas when they lost in overtime. The officials, uh, the last two minute report ruled that the Lakers should have shot free throws at the end of the game or like LeBron got fouled, whatever the play was like the Lakers clearly should have won that game. And then now Boston, you know. LeBron got fouled. He's probably going to make one of two free throws with the game on the line and win that game, right? And so that's two more wins, right? They'd be 25 and 26. I just am really surprised to see LeBron act the way that he did. Um, I'm not surprised to see Pat Beverly, like, grab a camera and take it to the officials, which was, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. But, like, LeBron, it just is so important to him right now. And that's, it's cool to see, but you can kind of tell maybe he like finally realizes like, man, if I don't do it this year, or next year, like I'm probably not getting any more rings. I don't know. I don't want to like throw this into a larger narrative, but like I have never seen him like lose his mind like that. And he complains all the time, Zan. Yeah. Well, you know, he's 38 now. He actually turned 38. Um, and in December and 
it's it's very different than Kobe's last few years in LA after the injury when he, like the team was just terrible and Kobe was kind of putting up numbers but it was just like so going through the motions it's not that like LeBron is like clearly like good enough to do something and to see him sort of wasting these good years it feels odd and I do wonder if it's a psychological thing where it's like oh we had this close game and we lost he had to take the next night off or maybe another game or two after that. And it's just like the Rui trade is clearly not going to be, you know, a game changer. Yeah. So, they they have another move. They have another move in them, I would imagine. But I think you're right in the sense that like, they can't afford to lose one. It's against Boston. So like it matters. It's yeah. in prime time. Boston's like the best team in the league. We think so like one that matters. LeBron was the best player on the court. Not a surprise. Um, but like you're exactly right. Like they can't afford to get screwed. It's you know they're they're 23 and 28. What is that? 51. They've got 31 games left. Like they have to figure out a way to turn it around. And so I think that loss just really amplifies kind of the the microscope that the Lakers are under if they don't make another move. Well, and also the front office because I, I think you know this is a conspiracy theory because LeBron was out the next game. I want to see what the exact injury was. But I wonder if he's going to be like, get me some help, you know? Because now, like, the season's slipping away a little bit in terms of, like, you know, certainly making the playoffs without the play-in tournament. And you're just sitting on your picks for whatever reason, you know, for the future, 2029. Um, He's dealing with significant soreness on his left foot. So maybe it's just a one game thing. I mean, they're only they're only four games out of the four spot. Like in theory, like we talked about last week, they could do this. I kind of want to. I did see, by the way, with the Rui trade. Apparently, they cannot make that twenty twenty nine pick a protected first round pick because they don't have any seconds either. Uh, so they would have to leave that twenty twenty nine pick unprotected if they were going to use it. I'm not sure what the actual rule is, but something like that uh yeah just some some great stuff for me but i want to ask you a question do you think the lakers were right to be upset with the officiating and like you of all sure. people you, you you generally think about like big picture things a little bit better than i do they just have to deal with it obviously they lose and people are saying like lebron can't act that way like he should have gotten attacked patrick beverly should have gotten attacked but like what is the recourse like anthony davis basically said like there's no recourse here and we've been screwed a couple times and they're, they're right. So yeah, should- but you know what? Like there's, it's, it's been a weird week for like Reddit versus the world. Um, because yeah, the NFL, like the NFL is rigged thing is going on because of like the, the NFL Bengals game. Jim Jackson, that was a big post on Reddit. Uh, I, I wish I could credit the guy's name. Um, that post was great. Yeah. And it got blushed back about whether his stats are inflated. And then, you know, cause I'm on Reddit, you see all these like conspiracy theories too, where it's like, is this LeBron foul evidence that the refs are rigging games or, you know, on the take? And I, my response was, say I'm a ref and I'm getting money on the sneak and I'm, you know, shaving points. The one time I would probably not do it is on national TV game winning play against the most famous player in the world. Like that's, it's hard to like avoid like spotlight there. I mean, I don't see any way it was just a, no, no. Also let's throw, let's throw the conspiracy theory to the wind for a second. Like I'm, I'm down to inflate this. Like the Lakers were clear underdogs in that game. Like 
Yeah. Wouldn't a referee, if he really wanted to win, wouldn't he like have Lakers money line instead of Celtics money line? Like, why would he like I, I do think the funny part about the NBA, we have not heard of like point shaving in the NFL, right? From an official standpoint. But the NBA, like the Tim Donaghy thing happened, right? There there yeah. are refs in the NBA now that may have been involved in that. Scott Foster, you know, possibly, right? Like it's there's a chance, probably a good chance. But I think it it lit it lends itself to like Fans are not able to really look at variance in officiating as if it's the same as like just random luck, right? Because I, I just think that it's very obvious that the officials just missed the call, right? Is a clear foul. It's not even like a judgment foul of like, oh, LeBron takes the contact. Like, should he get a call or not? Like, it was a clear foul. Three officials, they should not have missed the call. But like stuff like that does happen. Well, Sam. and also like, I would say like if there's a bias, certainly not an anti-Lakers bias, not an anti no. And not an anti-LeBron bias either. No. And and that what I was going to say about Reddit. Somebody did a post about looking at the last two-minute reports and the missed calls because the league admits, admits which calls have been missed. The Lakers only, in the, only, in, only in the last, the two, last minutes. two minutes. Yeah. But the Lakers have gotten more favorable than not calls overall in the season. Although but what, what, about the, what about the leverage index for when it matters more? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, but... I, I do think there's natural bias. You know, I think it's more like refs on, you know, in Boston, you know, or just like let them play kind of thing at the end. I bet they thought he was going to make it, to be honest with you. Maybe. But I, I think like that missing the call was not like a premeditated thing, in my opinion. No, it was just a bad, it was a bad but call. We said it privately too. It's like the premeditated like fudging the rules would be not giving LeBron like a technical foul. Yeah. You know, like letting him vent, which I think is the right thing to do. But I'm just saying, like, that's the one where you have to think about, you have we, time to think about it. And you're like, I'll let this slide because it's LeBron. Yeah, I we don't were know if they would otherwise. We were thinking about this, and I do have a comment to make about the officials, but like we were thinking about this that like a lot of players probably just get ejected, and it probably was the right move of the official who obviously knew like they didn't know in the moment, they knew when Patrick Beverly showed him the camera that they missed the call, but <laughs> um to not throw him out like give him a tech yeah. but like don't throw him out because you know giving him a tech compounds your mistake already but you do have to kind of move on right and lebron yeah. i mean he was like throwing himself on the ground and like he should be better than that i i definitely think he should be better than that but i understand the frustration my my frustration with the nba i actually think this in the nfl too by the way but like why is an NBA challenge a one-and-done thing for calls? Because here's the thing. Darvin Ham had challenged a call at like the four-minute mark, got the call overturned, and then didn't have a challenge left for that play. And I agree with a lot of people. Like, you, you should be holding your challenges to the fourth quarter, right? You should never really use them unless it's take three points off the board or maybe like, you know, if you're the Warriors and Steph Curry picks up like a bogus third foul, like maybe you can use it then or fourth foul or something. But Darvin Ham waited as late as he possibly could in a very close game in a game that mattered quite a bit to them to use his challenge. Like, why does he not have another challenge if he got the challenge right? Like, I, this I, is what I'm so like Jeff Van Gundy. I'm on his side. Like, I'm just over the challenge thing. It just takes way too long. I mean, but I don't care if games are 110 to 110 these days. You know, a point here or there. It doesn't matter enough to ruin like the flow but of the this, game to me. But this does matter, though. Like, and and officials that do, one does. This certainly. does officials do miss calls. So my question is, like, look, if you challenge a play and you're wrong, I totally understand being 
taking challenges away. I think that's fine. But if you actually are correct and the official was wrong, why do you lose your challenge? Like, why don't you just have challenges until you're done? Because it just slows down the game and it's so boring. Like, I like the sort of the in college football where it's like, you know, booth review, like whatever. If the you know media center sees something, they'll, they'll flag it themselves. The NBA already did that, though. And there's a million reviews at the end of the game to see who the ball went off of. And like, that's like, I, I think you takes, should, I just don't care. So and they're never that clear anyway. No, no, of course. Like, this is this is a very... I wouldn't say it's a unique instance, but like specifically when it happened and what the foul was, like it was just so obvious that that call was missed. Right, most of the time, these are like judgment calls. You know, like this one was yeah. he would make a left handed layup, and I think it was Jason Tatum that fouled him, just like crushed his arm, so he, yeah. he couldn't make it. Right, like absolutely foul. I just think that I thought about this in the NFL too, when like, but the uh, the answer is not unlimited challenges. I would just like what if unlimited challenges if you're correct? All right, how about unlimited challenges in the fourth quarter if you're correct? I mean, our fourth quarter is slow enough. I mean, they are slow, but at the same time, like, is your viewing experience? Now, I, I will say, as as two podcasters and two guys who are you know more content related than they are like quality of game, like it was much better content to watch LeBron like absolutely no, but I, shit. I, but how hard would it be to have just sort of like a Big Brother system where it's like the on court officials can be overruled by the league office and forget the coach's challenge, like in yeah, that so, play, and just like very rarely be like. Look, we took a look, guys. We blew that call. Yeah, the, it the, would have been easy to fix within thirty seconds. The NHL, the NHL does that. I don't expect you to know this, but like in the NHL, you can challenge, and if you get it wrong, you go on. A, the other team goes on a power play. But if like something happens, it's like way out of whack. Like let's say you shoot it and it crosses the line, but it doesn't register, then they can blow the horn from like New York and say like, "Hey, that went in," and you don't have to use a challenge and stuff on it. Yeah, or just like that's, that's what I like. But people the hate last two minutes of like you know NFL a football games or game. whatever. But yeah, like people perfect. hate soccer has video assisted replay and people hate it and they just do it on their own now for offsides calls. Like, you know what I mean? Like uh, people don't like that either. So like my question is like, why can't you just put it in the hands of coaching and just be like, no, hey, I think- like, you know what I like? Also, like when they there's a disputed three. Was it a two? Was it a three? Now they seems back. like they just play on and then they'll, and then they'll they catch it later. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy. Did, you, did you hear? Did you hear during the Chiefs game, by the way? I think it was the Chiefs who said it. What was it on CBS? So it was Gene Steratore. But apparently there is like a quick video replay that you can do without having to challenge it that they will help officials out with. Did you know well, that? Can, can it be like us on the couch watching the game? How hard is it? You know, when it's that obvious, there should be a rule where it's like, this is what I would do. Let's hear Forget it. This the, is probably cooked up like you go in like a pit of despair if you get a challenge wrong. No, no, no. The Adam Carolla had that famous um, bit. Adam Carolla's bit was there should be like a challenge gimp who like sits in the basement all day, doesn't like eat or drink or doesn't see sunlight. And he only comes out to, to look at these to challenges. Look so at he's, the completely ch- he's completely unbiased. unbiased. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, Don't know why it has to be a gimp and not just a human <laughs> being, but yeah, it's good. But my thing would be. I don't need the five extra replays because I don't know what I don't know. So if you just tell me one replay, two, you get two replays, you get the TV this, replays. And then if it's clear on that, then it's reversed. This is that, that's always been my thing. Like one minute for challenges. If you can't decide yeah. at the end of one minute, the call just stands like that's the bottom yeah, line. Absolutely. In my opinion. And, and football is so different, but it, you know, I do you remember they used more... to have the time on the bottom of the screen of how long the challenge oh, yeah. took? Do you remember when it first started, but it never meant anything. Right. Um, but the NFL is different in the sense, like I would give them a little more leeway because points matter more and like a touchdown 
you know, versus a field goal could be the difference. Like, you know, obviously it was difference here, but most NBA games are like so high scoring that it really shouldn't, you know. Well, you're arguing that the impact is not great yeah. typically Point of a missed call. Impact. Yes. I, I would agree that with that. There's so many more possessions. It's like you said, it's not the same as the NFL where like one huge play really does matter quite a bit. In or the, soccer, which seems like every game is like decided by the stupid penalty kicks. Okay, well, that was just the World Cup. You know, I've watched like a bunch of Premier League games since then, as I, I like to wager on soccer, and haven't seen a lot of penalty kicks. I'll tell you, it was it's weird, man. Like it's the fix it's, is in. I don't think the fix is in. I just think that players. I think the World Cup just matters more, and you know, I'm not an intangible guy by any means, but like. I think there's something to be said for players who just like lose their stuff in the World Cup because it's like, oh, this is the biggest stage. We got to win. And then they just do dumb stuff. I don't know. But in general, and then also like I I never am a guy to complain about the refs in the sense that if I can't tell what the call was live. Yeah. Then I don't blame the refs for for missing it when I see it on 10 replays. That's that that is exactly true. Like the human element of the game exists. And that's where I had a problem with the way the Lakers handled the immediate aftermath i don't expect people to be perfect all the time right i don't expect players to be perfect and i certainly don't expect officials to be perfect nba is if you've never sat like down low in an nba game like not court side but like you've never sat down low in an nba game i don't think people realize how fast the game is and how big the players actually are and how much of a contact sport it is so for lebron to throw a temper tantrum i thought was a little bit out of line I do think a discussion can be had about how officials can be held a little bit more accountable for missed calls. I don't think you should be fining them for missed calls, but I don't mind some sort of like scoring system where at the end of the year, if you're one of like the 10% worst refs, like you go to the G League and the 10% best refs in the G League go to the NBA. Like, I, I'm not saying that's perfect. I'm saying like maybe there needs but to I be. I mean, like to have like a league leaderboard would be kind of interesting. Like it would. Most I mean, correct you don't, need, calls. you don't need to. I mean, the NBA does score officials. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like. It doesn't need to, to be make public. it public, though. I don't think it's a bad idea. No, it'd be very interesting to see like so and so is this bad, and like it would need to be the NBA's deal. But I, that that's where I think they should do it in the NFL too. Like I, I think problem is like the tribalism that exists in terms of fandom, like NFL refs and NBA refs who do things like that. Like they're immediately going to be, you know, doxed probably in in a big spot. Yeah. Like the guy was actually um, Eric was- Lewis. Yeah, I think somebody like you know posted videos of his family or something. I mean, get over it, fans. All right, it's the regular season number one. We, we were. This is what I was thinking about with the, the Bengals game on uh the Chiefs game on Sunday night. Like, really, just a fantastic game, and the do over play was pretty ridiculous, just in the sense that like I don't know how that happened. It didn't end up impacting the game other than taking some time off the clock. But like everyone acting like referees have like a say in a game like I, I don't get like why is that where people's minds go Zan that like instead of just enjoy like even the, the the Lakers Celtics game was great and yeah the missed call like overshadowed it but like why don't we just like watch the games like what is, what like, is we like, made the point like human error it's like LeBron's a great player greatest ever he'll have three turnovers a game it happens pa- he's Patrick not trying Mahomes, to do it Patrick Mahomes played one of the best no, no joke like I thought Patrick Mahomes performance on Sunday night was one of the best QB performances I've seen just in terms of like him being on one ankle, he literally dropped the ball in the middle of a drive and it probably would have lost them the game if they, they didn't get, if you know, the defense didn't step up. Like if he's allowed to do that and not get screamed at, how come an official can't miss a a bang, bang play? Or like, it's sort of the, 
receiver, you know, Jamar Chase trying to catch it out of the bounds. Oh, he stepped out by accident. Like he's trying his best. Okay. <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. And it's Man. hard to be a ref in this situation that, too. That's what I think. Like, and, and it's like, we, we don't take our, sometimes we take our angers out on, out on players. I'm sure Osai had a very miserable and is still having a miserable week in terms of like after that late hit penalty. And it was a stupid boneheaded play. He obviously didn't mean to do it, but like, I'm sure he's had to read some pretty unfortunate things. And he even had a teammate like react pretty poorly on camera. And then he, he since has apologized and said like, you know, I wasn't being a good teammate, but like that stuff happens. Like it's, it's just, it's really odd that we can't accept officiating errors. Like we would accept other. That's sort of the takeaway. And I think in general, I think the league refs have been less of an issue aside from this week than they've been in the last few years. You know, the hard stuff have gotten kind of out of control. Isn't the, isn't the worst thing about it now is that like, there's just a million views of every time you get a call wrong. Like officials are probably better than they've ever been. In fact, I would would wager they're better than they've ever been. I agree with you. And, and I think it's because they have, they hold them accountable at least behind closed doors in terms of grading and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because it did overshadow like the fact that the Lakers really did take it to the Celtics and LeBron was like fantastic. And I, and I do think like what we talked about last week, like there is a part of me that wants to see the Lakers make the playoffs because I actually think like if they were to make another move and add another, like, you know, you keep saying Gary Trent, but like, let's say they are able, they they probably should move Patrick Beverly. Cause like at some point, Patrick Beverly is going to like run into the stands and like take a swing at somebody or like try to fight in a fit. Like he's just like unhinged at this point in time. But like if they add Gary Trent, and LeBron and Anthony Davis can elevate their play to where where it is now in the playoffs. Like they're kind of scary, and so like I think it overshadowed the fact that like we actually have started to see the Lakers play a bit better at when when they've had their full complement of players. My other takeaway in the game, I, I texted you about it, was I think Malcolm Brogdon is a game changer for for Boston, and he's playing more because Marcus Smart was hurt, but. Just the fact that he has, you know, Marcus Smart is a great defender, partly because he has the strength to guard multiple positions. Brogdon's not like that, but he's big enough to guard multiple positions, like credibly. So he gives yes, you he can, some he of can, that. He can stand in the way of people and like hold you up till a better defender gets right. there. But he was like guarding LeBron in possessions and AD in possessions and he wasn't getting creamed. And if he could do a credible job of that, like his shooting is so much better than Marcus Smart. That like... He he really does give them that like extra score, extra playmaker that they they lacked in the finals. Yep. And right. I, I mean, I do think they're the best team right now. I, I do think other teams can pass them, but you know who I think is the best team right now? Who Philly? Yeah, I do think that actually. But Brogdon's numbers are comical, by the way. Like just in terms of the differences between him and Marcus Smart. So obviously Brogdon's averaging like just under 15 a game, I think like 14 and a half points a game, but like I think he's at like 45% from three. 48% overall from the field and 88% from the line. So like, yeah, you do lose some of Marcus Smart's defense, but like if you play Brogdon, let's say you play a lineup of like Brogdon at point and then Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Horford and Bob Williams, or like Derek White instead of Horford, like that is a very scary lineup with three scores. And then also like three and a half, very good defenders, and, you know, four and a half good defender. Like Brogdon's not a great defender, but like Jalen Brown is good. Jason Tatum's very good. Yeah. Bob Williams is really, really good. Like 
Derek White's a good defender. Like you, you don't have that much slippage. It, it does make their closing lineups and their closing lineup decisions quite interesting moving forward. Because yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking. Like I, I would rather. I think you could maybe play Brogdon and Smart, but if, of the two, I would rather close with Brogdon. Honestly, it'd be it'd be interesting to close. Like Derek White is quietly having like a pretty good year, I yeah. think. And you know, he he took some flack in the playoffs last year and it's kind of how it goes when your team is as good as they are. Like you get to be the guy taken out of the game because like, you know, you're not going to stop Jason Tatum for a whole game, but you know, he's averaging 10 points a game. He's shooting 37 and a half percent from three, which is up from what we saw. Like, I don't know. I guess if you play Brogdon and smart together, you're just so big, right? Like you're, you're big and strong. And then like, you know, I don't know what they'll do with Horford in the playoffs. Like he's playing about 30 minutes a night and Grant Williams is playing just, just under that. But it does seem like Robert Williams is their best closing big and it probably they'll play Horford though, I guess. Right. Like Horford, Tatum, Brown, Brogdon, and then smarter Derek White. Yeah. But it's interesting. You mentioned Philly because like Boston is like the most complete roster. It's almost like the Super Bowl, like where we say like Philly has the best roster, but is like Mahomes great enough to overcome that. To just just win the game himself. Yeah. And so I think teams that beat Boston will need that, whether it's Giannis or Jokic or maybe Embiid. Like if you want to transition to Philly, he's averaging 33 a game, 10 rebounds, four assists, almost two absolute, a game. Absolute masterpiece on Saturday. Uh, they had a three o'clock game. It was very clear that Philly fans and Embiid cared quite a bit about him outplaying Jokic. I don't know that Jokic had the same level of intensity for the game, but you know, Denver's very good. Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon just impresses me more and more every time I watch him. He's he's really gotten so much better from when he was in college and at Orlando, but they ended up they end up coming back and they end up winning a game where Embiid was like spectacular in the fourth quarter, just made every jumper basically. And uh Philly has probably the most turnkey ability to improve if they want to, because now that they have Maxi back, they, they are starting DeAnthony Melton, but you know, the big thing we've talked about is like PJ Tucker's just playing too many minutes. They they can't rely on Thibault. Like Niang's playing great off the bench in terms of making shots, but like they need another wing. They they just absolutely need another wing who can contribute offensively. If they were to add another wing, take Thibault out of the rotation or trade him, mm-hmm. cut PJ Tucker's minutes to 20 so he could defend in spots where he needed to, because he guarded Jokic for a lot of the yeah. fourth quarter and he does a good job. But like he's playing too many minutes. If if you get another wing on that team and Harden and Embiid stay healthy, like they're terrifying. I think because right, I agree with you, and I agree with you on Tucker because if he's like an you know a specialist at this point, like you need him to guard whoever the superstar is. Like not every team has Jokic, not every team has no. Durant, so and it's, it's like, an interesting person for him to guard too, right? Because he can't guard John Morant. You know, he has to guard yeah. like a bigger superstar. He's averaging 4.4 points per 36 minutes. That's pretty impressive. What is he averaging shots per 36 minutes? It's got to be like one or two. No, it's yeah, four shots per 36. Those are like Dennis Rodman numbers. No, that's and he's not. Like I said, his defense rotations are good. But like when you have him beat in the game, like how much does he need to do anyway? Like you already have an elite rim protector. It's but like it's but do they do they have the pieces like because I saw a report floating on Twitter saying, you know, they might trade pieces like Tybal or Korkmaz, like are those pieces worth anything? I mean, well, that's do they the have thing to move in their pocket. I don't know that they want to trade Shake Milton. Like Shake has like quietly been a pretty good depth player for them, and so like if you're not, I, I think like you could make a decent deal around like Shake and Matisse and like a pick to get yourself a little bit better. But I I agree with you. Like they don't have 
you know, Daniel House is doing nothing, right? That was a big whiff because that's probably the guy that you want to yeah. be in this role. And he's just not able to do so. But I think like Dybul is how you have to do it. And his stock is like as low as it has ever been. Yeah, so he, he looks how, like like the next Andre Roberson or something like like if he's not playable, he's not playable. He doesn't even look at the basket. It's just, like, like it's it's just it's odd. Like and so like, that's where I think that you know Embiid is this like superstar MVP candidate. Harden is quietly playing excellent basketball in terms of what he provides for them. He's going to need to score a little bit more in the playoffs. That's that's another part of it. But they just move the ball so spectacularly with him in the game. Um, but you said they, they have another move to make. Like they're searching as is. So if they don't make another move, I think they're good enough. Do you think they're good enough to win the title? I just think at some point they're going to match up against a team like Boston. And Boston's going to say, like, we are not guarding PJ Tucker. We are just not going to guard him. We are going to sit in the paint and like Embiid, you can have every mid range jumper you want, but like, that's it. We're going to double every single time off PJ Tucker. And if he can't make a shot, they're they're going to stink on offense. And one of the problems has always been for the Sixers during the Embiid years, Ben Simmons is to blame for this partially, but is that like their offense sort of falls off a cliff in the playoffs. And so if that's the case, I just think they need to like, cause, cause you could probably play a lineup like Harden, Melton, Maxi. Harris and Bead, but yeah. you'd be really bad defensively, right? Because like Melton is a good defender, but Harden and Maxi are not. Tobias is probably not going to guard bigger wings. Like you're relying a lot on Embiid, and we know in the playoffs he takes so much of an emphasis on the offensive end that he's not always able to be that great defender in the playoffs. So I just really am concerned about them playing two teams. I'm not even really concerned about Milwaukee, uh, although I should probably be, but Brooklyn at full strength and 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 Boston at full strength, like they're just gonna make them play five on four or four on five on offense, and that so concerns me against two teams that can really score the basketball. So, who do you think of the you know tier A minus or whatever? If Boston's number A, Milwaukee and Philly, which of those teams do you think needs to make a move at the draft? Milwaukee? I, I'm I, I'm very nervous about Milwaukee. I think like my point about Philly was that like they have the most easily I, I think like seeable move right like you just watch their team you're like pj tucker's not good enough it's just the bottom line milwaukee uh i got a lot of concerns and like what do we know about chris middleton because they cannot win the title without chris middleton yeah he and and they're talking about again like it's like limited you know bags of loot to offer and like on the barter table because like they're talking about moving jordan Wara or you know search your pocket like there's just Grayson Allen, he has some value, but you know, it's like it's hard to get a difference maker for these pieces that you're offering. Um, so you need like, yeah, internal improvement from Middleton. I mean, he's at shooting 37%, 29% from three. He looks he's I mean, he's I like know. not able to play 20 minutes a night right now. And I know it's like it's you know, it's the middle of the Did year. Did they rush him back? Is that what happened? Because he was supposed to he missed about as much time as he was supposed to. Wasn't he supposed to sometime like I, I thought by the end of the summer it was like, oh, he might miss the start of the year. And then all of a sudden yeah. it was like, all right, he's not ready to play. Right knee soreness. And this is the kind of thing that could get, you know, inflame again. Um, Boston has to feel really good about that. I yeah, mean, certainly in terms of like the regular season and like sustaining their lead at the number one spot. Yeah, the problem is that like Giannis is just so spectacular that like 
There's actually two things that have happened recently that I think was funny. Like Giannis had 50 on Sunday when nobody was watching because of the NFL playoffs. And then like the Sixers had a great West Coast road swing where they beat like Portland, Sacramento, the Clippers, Utah. And nobody watched that because the city only cares about the Eagles being in the Super Bowl. So like, but I don't know. Anyway, back to Milwaukee. I just think that Middleton has to be the guy. They have to be sure that Middleton is is going to be healthy and ready to play at a high level in the playoffs. Otherwise, I don't think Milwaukee is in that same tier as good as Giannis is, because you're exactly right. Like, you know, you're not going to trade Wes Matthews and Jordan Wara to get, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich, right? Like, that's not going to happen. So they don't really have the ability to improve. And the buyout market is probably not going to be super strong this year. Unless the Clippers well, and, decide to just like, and you talk about so. like trades for guys like you know Lakers trade for Rui or Jay Crowder's available. Those guys are not, you know, they're just like minutes fillers, really. Yeah, I mean that's again. Like, I think it's Bogdanovich, you know, for Detroit maybe uh, for any of these teams would be huge. Yeah, Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee could use a guy who could actually like be, because of the injury to Bobby Portis. Like Milwaukee could actually use like a Kelly Olynyk type pretty badly. And I don't know that they can get him, right? No. They might. So, like, a, a big wing is what you want. And that's where, like, well, we criticize the Lakers that, like, Rui is not the answer. Finding, you know, 6'8", 230 on the free agency market is very hard to do. And then, also, we did see, like, Miles Turner signed an extension with the Pacers. So, he's probably off the market, too. So, teams that, like, need a rim protector who can make shots, it's not there for them either, right? Like, and that's well, where and also the, like actually that I said Bogdanovich might be the big shoe to drop. You know, there was a report that OG Ananobi's not happy in Toronto. That would be a bigger shoe. That's like a clown shoe to drop. Because, you know, if you put him on any of these top 10 teams, they become title contenders. Yeah, but the problem is who actually can, like I said, Memphis certainly can make a move. New Orleans could make a move. They could both add OG. Golden State, I don't, I don't know, would like does, does Wiseman and like Jonathan Kamingo no. like move no. it for anybody these days? No. Boston can't I, do it. Not that Boston needs to. Philly can't do it. Well, then Miami. I was thinking, like all the reports are take a godfather offer to get OG, like, you know, three, four first round picks. But I'm like, if I'm Toronto, do I really want like Milwaukee's first round pick? Like, no, I mean, the, the, for me? the team that legitimately should be trying to, I think, package picks is like, is probably Dallas, right? Because You've got Luca, you've got Christian Wood. Like, yeah, finding cheap talent is good, but like OG Anunoby is a really good wing player right now in the NBA who can make open shots and defend. Doesn't need the ball in his hands. You know, maybe he makes more sense there than anywhere else because like the value of picks to Dallas right now as Luca's, you know, ascending to best player in the league type status if he's not already there is probably a little bit less, right? So Plus, like they're kind of in the middle of the pack. Like maybe they fall apart and those picks are a little better. But I, I don't know. Like that's that's part of the problem here is that like the market is kind of dry for big time movement, right? Well, and I think also what kind of messed up the trade market. A lot of people are saying the Rudy Colbert trade did because it was such a big price. I think what really screwed up the trade market is that Utah got off to a hot start. Indiana got off to a hot start. And those were two teams that everyone thought would be sellers, like, early. Yeah, and Indiana is no longer going to tank. Like, once they re-sign Miles Turner, they could still trade him, right? I think he's still eligibly traded. But, like, Halliburton's back. Like, I, I think they're going to be trying to make moves for, like, John Collins. Like, I think they're going to try to get, like, a power forward. Yeah. I, I, I That could make sense. 
And Toronto, I mean, like, this is controversial. I think we said it last week. Like, I wouldn't blow it up, you know? They're 23 and 29, which is, sounds bad. They're out of the plan right now. But positive point differential, expected win loss, 27 and 25. It's not a terrible team. No, they're, they're, a- the advanced stats like Toronto. But at the same time, Fred Van Vliet, do you really want to re-sign to a big contract? Probably not. You know, yeah. Gary Trent's probably going to get paid a lot more money. I, I I would, I think I'd expect Gary Trent to get moved. I don't think I'd expect anybody else to get moved. I don't, at See, least I don't. I, so. I would, I'm just looking at this roster. Like, you know, we think of Van Vliet as this old vet now, but he's only 28. Siakam's only 28. Bad body for Van Vliet though. Like yeah, he's got an old bad. man's body and has for a long time. It looks like me out there chugging along. Let me ask you a question. Like, do you think do you think Toronto would take like like let's say the Lakers want to make a deal? Okay. Do you think like the Toronto would take like a 2027 first round pick, Pat Beverly, and then like a minimum contract and take the pick and cap space for Gary Trent? I yeah, I I I think they might at this point, but like again, like I don't know why. Like let's say they trade anyway. Like like let's say you take Gary Trent in one deal and Van Vliet in another deal and you end up with a bunch of first, you know, late lottery picks. Like, what are the odds of late lottery picks as good as Gary Trent? I don't know. Yeah, and like he does one thing specifically well that every single team needs, and that's make shots, make three. And also, if you volume. believe in your culture, because I'm more and more on the belief that it's good for young players to be around winning, winning players. players. Yeah. So if you're Toronto right now, you're scheduled to have the sixth pick. And so you get a guy like Scotty Barnes, you know, they got around that range. And then you you get the best out of them, let them develop a little more slowly and learn winning habits. And then, you know, I don't know, it hasn't worked for Golden State. <laughs> that was the theory I mean, of Golden I, State. But I, I still don't understand. Like Golden State's starting to play better. Steph Curry's back. Like, what are they doing? Like at a certain point, like James Wiseman's value, and we've bagged on Wiseman a lot on this show, but like like you said, it's clearly not, you know, Kaminga looks like he might be a player. Moses Moody does not really look that way. Wiseman, who knows? Like, doesn't Golden State, like, owe it to Steph yeah. and Draymond? Well, to, it's like, interesting, like, because that the, the idea I'm talking about with Toronto is sort of like, you know, the slow company promotion. You know, it's like where you start out at the bottom ladder and then you work your way up to be a backup and then you work your way into the starting lineup. And then, you know, there's like generations of players to be pretty good and i think that was golden state's plan as well and that hasn't worked yet when's the last time that worked where we saw like this sort of like peaceful transition of power from one star and then the younger star aaron rogers <laughs> yeah aaron rogers is a good example although there's some friction there but is it an example of like a star player and then the younger player got better and surpassed the older star who stayed around and then tim took duncan. a backup role tim duncan Tim Duncan and Kawhi, right? That's no, well, Tim, Tim Duncan and Kawhi and Tim Duncan and David Robinson. I don't know. Has it happened anywhere else? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess teams like cores don't stay together long enough. For yeah, this it's league. kind of been the problem, right? Like, ever since we've gotten to the point of, like, you know, free agency, which is which is good for players, we haven't really seen a bunch of teams. Like, you know, we, we talked about this before, but at the time the Wizards traded John Wall, like, he was one of two guys in the league that had been on a team for 10 years, and I think the other was Steph Curry. Like, nobody else yeah, in the NBA no had been on their stays. team for 10 and, and, and kind of like the nature of NBA careers now is they're shorter. Like to play ten years, you have to be really good, and you know you got to get paid. But I don't, I don't know that it's really happened in the NBA other than in San Antonio, right? Because yeah, 
Well, what about Boston? I mean, Jason Tatum, I guess, was good right away. So he had a pretty good rookie year, but wasn't Kyrie Irving on that team? Yeah, Kyrie was on the team. Gordon Hayward was on the team. So yeah, I think like he did kind of. Their team is a lot different, though, now. Like, yeah, him and Jalen Brown are homegrown, and so is Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, I guess. But, you know, I guess Boston counts. It's not kind of like the ascension that you're talking about. Yeah, but. I want to see, like, the slow, like, pass the torch. That that doesn't really happen in sports anymore, right? Because free agency is just too big of a deal. Like you just Jonte Murray, Jonte Murray complained about that in San Antonio, where I guess Pop told Tony Parker, "Hey, you know Murray's going to start now," and then Tony Parker didn't handle it well, didn't want to stick around, and went to Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot about Tony Parker and kind of how he acts behind the scenes, right? Like this. Steven Jackson's out there talking about how selfish he is and like, but that's been in the news for a long time that Tony was hard to deal with. And this first culture was good enough to overcome that. Right. That doesn't exist. A lot of places might not exist in San Antonio now for all we know. What about this one though? Cause they're not a glamorous team and they're not a winning team yet. Big winning team, but seems like everyone in Minnesota has kind of embraced the idea that it's now Anthony Edwards team. They even go out and say it. And now he's averaging 25 points a game. Cat's been out. And they're starting to turn it around, starting to win games. That might be an example of like, Cat was clearly the star. And has Anthony Edwards taken over the team now, officially? I mean, I think so. I I was pretty impressed with Anthony. I mean, I, I just really like Anthony Davis and I, or Anthony Edwards. And I'll say this, like, Zan, if he ever learns how to play basketball, like, if it if it ever happens for him or it just clicks, like the guy is, how how many players in the NBA are more talented than Anthony Edwards? Dan? like not many. I, and my friend, my friend's a Minnesota fan. I think they're pop. You know, you could bet them like plus one fifty to make the playoffs. Still, I mean, they're basically playing. He, I, I don't think he'll make the playoff or make the All Star game. Also, I, I don't really care if he makes the All Star game. He's probably he's probably right on the fringe. I would say, you know, he he probably has a better chance because a guy like Kawhi you know, where Anthony Davis, you know, hasn't played in a ton. And Edwards has played basically every game. I think he's leading the league in games played or, you know, he's played every game and he's putting up good numbers, just under 25 points a game. His shooting numbers have drastically improved as the season has gone on. But like, he's probably still a little bit more of like a volume guy than you want him to be. But man, like he's taking like incremental leaps, Zan. Like he, he's getting uh, and, better. And quietly, like one thing I think, but with capping out, they're playing more Kyle Anderson. He's playing well. I think he is a winning player. If you ever wanted to find like the example of like a guy who, you know, has winning plays more than like his, you know, freakish athleticism. I, I don't know how that works when everyone's healthy, but maybe I mean, that like the, all the optimism we had about Minnesota is going to pay off eventually. Eventually, I think, is where you want to be. I think the, the bigger problem is going to be, like, what happens. You know, they're ninth in the West right now, right? Like, when Cat comes back, what do you do? Like, you can't – you have to play him. He's spectacularly good on offense. But, like, it's pretty clear that, like, him and Rudy don't really know what to do together. Yeah. It's a weird thing to figure out on the fly in and the so, Western Conference. And, and here's the tough part, right? You've We, we bagged on Tim Connolly a bunch last week, but – you aren't in a position really like, do you really want to trade Carl Anthony towns for assets to like, you know, pull like a draft day scenario kind of where you trade all your picks, but then you make a trade to get some picks back. Like, is that the direction they need to go? 
build around Anthony Edwards and go no. there. I don't I know. Think if that, I, I think there's enough talent, and D'Angelo Russell's playing better to the point where you think you think about keeping him. It's just like maybe it's okay to have two centers if you think you don't have holes other places. They haven't gotten a lot from like Noel or whatever, however you pronounce the name, who I heard good things about, hasn't done much. Wendell Moore hasn't done anything. So maybe they need like another little piece, but maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, a superstar. Maybe they could like find a, you know, decent shooting guard in there and and just make this the roster and like overload. Hey, we have a lot of centers, but guess what? That's not a bad thing if we can afford it. Yeah. And that's going to be the bigger problem. Cause like, I hate to tell you this because I know. You still, I don't know. Are you still beating the Anthony Edwards most overrated player in the league drama? No, I mean, are, I mean, look, we, he, he's playing well, he's shooting well, getting to the line a decent amount. He's he's pretty clearly like a fringe all star, but he's he's not a superstar for sure. Not a superstar in terms of his playing ability. Now his personality might be superstar esque, but yeah, I I do think that you know as we've talked about with him in the past, young guys don't always get it right away. But Ant-Man is just like so free. This is going to sound so crazy to say because they're not the same position. But like he almost reminds me of Amari Stoudemire in the sense that like they're just so big and physically overpowering, but also like randomly skilled. Right. Like like Stoudemire had really good body control and was like a really good mid-range jump shooter. He made free throws. And as he kind of got older you know, Phoenix realized how to, how to handle that. And even like when he got traded to the Knicks, like they, they kind of knew how to handle that, but like Ant-Man is just so big and strong and like so athletic and fast. Like, I I just think he's like, he's like too gifted to not be a really, really good player, but here's here's a good stat for you. He is in his third season. He is a full year younger than Keegan Murray for Sacramento. So he's 21 years old still. So, I mean, like, What's he going to be like at 24? That's what I'm saying. And he, he's already like physically a grown man. Right. And he's and the problem is, again, I don't know if they ever envision him being their primary ball handler, but he has his assist rate has jumped. His usage rate has jumped. His turnover rates only incrementally jumped, which is good to see. You don't want to see his turnover rate go way up once he's using more possessions. And it seems like the shooting is is real. Like, yeah, we still do see a lot of like you know, 10 for 24s, 8 for 18s from him. But, like, he's making shots at a high level. And he's making tough shots. Like, uh, he's he's been great lately. I, I feel bad because, like, I think him and Towns is, like, a really fun pairing on offense. And I just don't know that we ever get to see the that potential unlocked. Although Chris Finch might not get fired now. They're, they're, they're yeah, better. they're turning it around. After you gave, you gave him some credit as on our coaching, best coaching list. I think he's um, good. Am I wrong about that? I could no, be wrong, I think he's I good. Too. I could be wrong. What do you think? The, like, Minnesota, they just need, like, I think they just need, like, another wing, right? Like, Well, talk about, like, a star-studded play-in tournament, possibly. You could be, right now, it'd be Phoenix, New Orleans, Minnesota, and Utah. But if the Lakers squeak in there, that's, like, heavy hitters. Yeah, I don't know. I would love to see. Uh, I would love to see that. Like, like, like LeBron Zion versus, versus Le- LeBron in the in the play-in tournament. Come on. I do think that it, it's kind of funny. This will be the last point. We can we can sign off from here because we're kind of just bantering. But I, I do think it's kind of interesting to see like Memphis. So this Jaron Jackson post was really really interesting. If you haven't seen it on Reddit, it's like his stats are like two x what they are at home than when he's on the road, and then you know, the guy went back and watched a lot of film and kind of pointed out to some examples. And then Kevin O'Connor, you know, Mr. Mr. Uh, what do you call it when somebody's like checking and balancing things? Like what, what Mr. Arbiter, I guess, or something like, was like I wa- maybe 
Yeah, Ledgerman. There you go. It's like I watched every single block, and there none of them are. La- There's only three labeled wrong. They're not egregious. Blah blah blah. Whatever. What I kind of noticed about this was how quickly people were like, "Yeah, c- classic Memphis." Like they always do stuff like this, and they've kind of like emerged as this villain, right? Yeah. And so like Memphis is really good, but like it's kind of like you know Anthony Edwards and like you know he he gets to and Zion, right? They're kind of like the young guns. They get to like go against the villain of John Morant. And Jaron Jackson and like Memphis, because Memphis is kind of like that team that they sort of just like skipped the step, right? They went from like pretty good young team to now like we're just going to talk trash like we've made it. And it's kind of interesting to see how like the league has reacted because like Ja himself is very popular, but it does seem like people just don't like the Grizzlies. And so it, it would be very- one of the interesting. It was definitely like a shining moment in a way for Reddit because it got so much attention. And I found the post. The guy's name is Ad Massive 6666. Um, Interesting point, though, on that, if you want to dig down the rabbit hole, because he said, oh, he's getting more blocks at home and steals at home and, you know, friendly scorekeeping. I had a couple thoughts on this, actually, now that you mentioned it, getting me fired up. I thought that Kevin O'Connor and like Kirk Goldsberry and John Hollinger had like a really obnoxious tweet about it being like, like dumb fans, like don't know how the sausage is made, you know, like they don't understand. Did he really? But I never. It was I didn't something. See he didn't that. say dumb fans. He says sausage is made. It was sort of like this elitist attitude, like how dare they not understand how this works? And then the argument from like the the you know the guard, the keepers at the gate was the league reviews everything, double checks everything, and then you know um, Goldsberry and Kevin O'Connor said like, oh, we look, we did the research, we looked it up. Of the sixty six blocks, sixty three were legitimate. I'm like. Those are incongruous arguments to me. The idea that the league double checks everything, we have to trust the league, but we also found three or four examples where they were wrong. And also, I don't just buy that the league double checks every freaking steal and block. Like, what would be the point of that? Seems like a ridiculous thing for the league to spend time on. Um, you'd have to rewatch every game and count every rebound. I, I don't buy that they do that. Yeah, I'm trying wow. to find I'm trying to find this tweet, honestly. It's it's really good. I do, I, I do think Hollinger does have a tendency to arrogantly tweet like that, where you know, like he's worked in the league and he's watched a ton of basketball and like nobody else could possibly be correct about something. And we do it's kind of interesting. This kind of goes this is like PFF grading too, right? Where there are some things that are very speculative that we make decisions on whose fault things are where we're not, you know, we don't know what the scheme is, we don't know ultimately where guys are supposed to be. But it just was very funny to see how quickly there was like the the divide of like, no, Jaron Jackson's amazing. And it was a lot of the people talking about how great Jaron Jackson is and how he should be defensive player of the year. And then the other divide that's like, look, we watched this film like. It's not right. And if it's not right, explain to us why it's right. And nobody can explain that exactly like you said. And also like. It's it's not like no one's saying he's not great, but maybe it's slightly inflated. You know, that's that's also can be true. Yeah. And we know there has been a history of officials for assists specifically, like inflating stats where like a point guard will get an assist at home where a guy takes two or three dribbles afterwards. And on the road, he would never get that. So that does exist. And and there is kind of like the deflection thing where like, let's say Jaron Jackson deflects the ball, but somebody else picks it up, like who actually did more on that play. But I don't think that, I don't know. I think it's good for the league. Like, I I tend to think Reddit sometimes is a little much. But, like, I think having independent people, like, actually go back and watch film is not a bad idea. Because I think it does start a discourse that can make people a little bit more educated as fans. Now, I'm not advocating for do your own research on things because I don't 
think that that's a real take, but like, I do think like there's nothing wrong with somebody logging on and watching all of Jaron Jackson's blocks and being like, Hey, is this a block or not? I think it's totally fine, Zan. Well, do you want to know the biggest conspiracy theory, the most fun that we can end on? Because this guy was not like a Zan Ellison poster. Add massive 6666. He only posted two times in his history of the account. And it was about this Jared Jackson Jr. thing. And so now some people are saying, is he a plant? Is he like an enemy plant to derail his chances of winning defensive player of the year? <laughs> it could be. I doubt it, though. He's got a lot of juice, like because the analytics community really likes him. I think Hollinger deleted the tweet. He he has a bunch of like sarcastic things on here, but I think he deleted the tweet about like fans being dumb. I'm pretty sure. Cause like he has a tweet on here that's like, I'm going through it right now, but he has a tweet that's like, um, oh no, poster just doesn't understand how the sausage gets made. Yeah, that's what I was referring to. And it's like it's not it is insulting because you said like it's something that's been going on for years, inflating stats, and it's sort of like a victimless crime so, if I inflate John Stockton's all right, so, total, who cares? So he responded. So so somebody tweeted the threat on Jaron Jackson and the Grizzlies official official scorekeeper is pretty interesting. Jackson is a great defender, but his home and away stat differentials this season are totally suspect. And John Hollinger tweeted back, they're really not. Poster just doesn't understand how the sausage is made. Why wh- let me ask you a question, Zane. If you looked at any stat and saw that numbers were doubled somewhere, isn't the yeah. purpose of statistics that you should dive into that? I'm not saying that they're right or wrong, but like that is interesting for sure, is right. it not? And then some other Redditor said that the chances of this just being like, you know, random chance or flip of the coin or like less than 1%. It's like the difference was too extreme for too long. And, and sometimes wide tail outcomes occur, right? Like, so there, there isn't, you can't totally rule it out, but it's just, it's interesting that, the the gatekeeper aspect of the NBA as the league gets younger and gets like more clip heavy, you know, like I, I am sure the clip of Patrick Beverly showing the camera to the official did way better numbers than whatever the best highlight of the NBA was this weekend. But it's interesting to see a guy like John Hollinger, you know, kind of or Kevin O'Connell, Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor, like immediately step up and be like, no, this is wrong. Like, well, then also like this is my other last point on this is let's say he's slightly inflated that doesn't mean he's bad doesn't mean he's not defensive player of the year and also you'd have to prove if this mattered that it wasn't true for every superstar you know every defensive superstar is milwaukee inflating brooke lopez you know you'd have to look at every play you know it's it's weird i i do like that it's sort of like the democratization how would you say that yeah that makes sense of you know checks and balances i think that's good I do want to say that while we're recording, I just was sent a link on Instagram to a post that Anthony Edwards gave an interview that he eats 21 bags of hot fries a week. What are hot fries? Like you know what they Cheetos? are. No, I don't no it's it's kind of like that. Now Cheetos has flaming hot Cheetos, but hot fries are like an old thing where they're, they're yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I never was really a hot fries guy, but. I've never even heard the term. I'll send it to you. Uh, but anyway, so I, I don't know. I I find it very off-putting i think when media members do that like i I do think explaining things makes total sense so like if i was and i know twitter is not the best place to explain things it's kind of a cesspool but like if i was john hollinger like you have a lot of followers do a twitter space and explain why specific plays are blocks 
you know, and talk about that. There, there's no reason and to some just Some be- people did that. Some people were like, actually, this deflection, you know, the second person to grab it, it gets the steal or yeah, whatever and it was. Maybe it was the vice versa. So, I don't know. so the, the really interesting thing that I've seen lately, and there there's like a random subset of like NFL Twitter that's offensive line Twitter. I don't know if you've like followed this really lately, no. but Jeff Jeff Schwartz kind of got it started. But there's a bunch of guys that post about, about it. Like Joe holds, holds and stuff like that. So there was a big commotion about how on Mahomes' last run on Sunday night that Trey Hendrickson got held by Orlando Brown. And then there was another one. I think uh, B.J. Hill got held by the center, maybe. And multiple people like were like, hey, this is a rip move. Like, when you rip, if you aren't allowed to keep your hands inside, then there's no way you could block. And there's actually a stipulation in the rule book about how holding doesn't apply when a defender does a rip move. And there were a couple really good threads about, like, why that's the case and how your hands and your feet need to line up on this and why it's not a hold. And now people just ignore that anyway, because they're like, no, no, the NFL's rigged. But like, that's the type of content I think that's really good. And I think that the NBA could actually use because yeah. everybody can see that LeBron got fouled on Saturday night, right? Just to kind of yeah. tie a bow on this. But not everybody knows like what a gather step is, or not everybody knows right. like why specific plays work or why referees call things the way they do. And like, instead of just being like, oh, you don't get it. Like, Explain why. Like, I think right. that and it, the outside noise is good because sports is such an old boys club where it's like they don't allow new thoughts or yeah. you know, contrarian thoughts. And that's why the league wasn't shooting threes for like 20 years. You know, it's like where the NFL like didn't run a hurry up offense for a while or, or whatever else or why they're still not using laterals. Me and Andy Reid are fighting against that, I think, in the Super Bowl. We'll see. I'm actually kind of interested. I, we, we can talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl next next week. but. At some point, someone is going to start like randomly running some yes. types of hook and ladders in games, yeah. and like, like routinely, and it's going to be a big moment for you. Like, well, and it's going to be wildly successful. I, I mean, I don't know that it's. I don't know that it's going to be wildly successful, but it's going to happen at some point. I, I, it really is. And then you're also on the same concept. You're gonna you're gonna get teams to stop blocking punts because trying to block oh, yeah. punts because you're, we've seen two like penalties on blocked punts, big penalties too, like penalties that mattered quite a bit. But you claim also, you, you never see blocked punts, and that's just never not true. I, I gave never, you the stats. I don't think I've ever seen a blocked punt. You ever, never watched Virginia Tech football in their heyday? Oh, yeah. They did a lot of those, huh? Um, that'd be fun. We'll talk, and then we'll see the trade deadline next week, or, you know, I think it's like 10 days away. So maybe the we'll, trades will trickle in. Yeah, I, hopefully we I don't we think we'll see major that. ones. I think we're talking about the Bogdan Bogdanoviches, the Eric Gordon type trades. Yeah, we can go a little bit more into detail about guys that we think could actually swing the trade deadline as we get a little closer. But let's, uh, yeah, we'll wrap for this week. Um, some really good games lately, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun. De- Denver and Philly was like a high level performance, honestly. On Saturday, it was. Fun yeah, I'm really to watch. excited about the playoffs too. The plan is going to be fun, and then. You know, just mentioning the East, you know, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, those are like title contenders are going to be like and Brooklyn, it out in this Bro- second Brooklyn half. is Brooklyn is really good. Like at full strength, Brooklyn is really good. Kyrie for all the, you know, for all of Kyrie-ness, if you will, man, he's absolutely amazing on offense. When they get Kevin Durant back, as long as they don't, Nick Claxton's like taking a big leap. Like they're, they're good. They still need another big, I think, but there's four teams in the East that can win the title. No question about it. So all right, that'll be it for us this week. He is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and Reddit. You can go search conspiracy theories. He's usually writing pretty heavily about them. And you can email the show, Zandrick Ellison at gmail.com. And uh, as always, Zan. 
It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.